is the University of Michigan. All right, welcome back to Blue by 90. It is uh, the, what week is it now? Wisconsin week. Wisconsin week. We'll just go with it. Hopefully COVID week. It's COVID week slash Wisconsin week. The football team is in absolute shambles. The whole program is over with. But I'm going to start us out on a positive note, boys. The basketball program is at unprecedented levels. Like, we are rolling. Business is booming for Juwan Howard and the boys. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Like the, so Caleb Houston committed Mm -hmm. last week, five star. And then how do we say this dude's name now that this guy, this guy came out of nowhere. I had no idea. What was it? Diamante something? I'm about to look it up right now because I feel like an idiot. I'm not even going to try. I want to say Musa Diamante before I like confirm it. Sure. That's his name. Is that right? Now it is. It is. That's now. what I'm saying. It's like it Mr. Good P. Mr. P, dude. I mean, frick. Like Mr. D. two five stars in two weeks. Juwan Howard just save single-handedly saving Michigan athletics. Literally. With with just the shambles that Michigan football's in. I mean, this couldn't have come at a better time. Let's be dead serious. Like this football program, this university, the fan base was literally like at each other's throats on social media this whole week, last week and a half, two weeks, whatever. And then it that came out of nowhere. And now we're all like, all right, nobody gives a fuck about the football team anymore. But basketball is, you know, coming up in, uh, you know, a few weeks or a month. I don't know when their actual season is starting at this point, but I don't even think they have a date, honestly. Um, but either way, it's basketball season. Michigan is a basketball school. Let's face it. What did you say, Kalen? It's a basketball school with a with a couple uh, good football seasons, right? That's about right. That's how it feels these days. Yeah, I mean, look at the recent history. I mean, Michigan, ever since the Fab Five, Michigan football hasn't really done anything. I mean, they had a national title, right? But that was a fluke. They shared it with Nebraska. They shared it with Nebraska. It wasn't even an outright title. We're a basketball school. We are a basketball school. Ever since I've been a boy, we've been a basketball school. Ever since I was a wee lad. I thought you were going to be like, yeah, ever since, you know, John Beeline got here, it's been a basketball school since like the early 2000s. But you went straight back to 1990. <laughs> yeah, it was a fluke year in '97. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm just gonna say that. All right, All right. <laughs> sounds good. We really turned on the football program really quick. <laughs> <laughs> we have two bad games, and all of a sudden, the history of Michigan football is not valid. That's all right. Jack's a big, uh, big well, first, Ian Book fan, throwing his party now that they beat Clemson. My Irish, my Irish baby. <laughs> but if, but if we, if we want to go back even further, then we can talk about Michigan being a football school. We can go back to the the late 1800s, you know, like early 1900s. Was, we can do that. Those, those teams football were school. good. Those Don't teams mess around, good. man. <laughs> Tom Harmon back to, back in the day. Dude, reconstruction era football. That's that was our highlight. <laughs> Legit. They played in like just grass fields with like dirt behind them 
I don't even know if they had yard lines back then. Dude, no mouth guards. You just put a handful of dirt in your mouth. Absolutely. Leather helmets. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, that is good news, though. I do feel like, I mean, so now Michigan already had the number one recruiting class for 2021 in the country, not only the Big Ten, and now they just added to it. So there's really the only way that anybody is going to catch them, I believe, is if Imani Bates does reclassify to 2021 instead of 2022, then maybe they'll jump him because he's, you know, obviously a, a, the highest five-star, you know, number one rated uh, kid in the country. Um, but still, I mean, Juwan Howard is in year two and, had, you know, didn't even play a full season. Um, and, and now he's recruiting at the highest level. Like, le- that's not like a legitimately. Number it's one, like actually, yes, number <laughs> one, the highest level. That's not us like handicapping him and being being like, oh, he's doing pretty good for a new guy that's never been a head coach, never even been in college basketball. He legitimately went straight to the top. And in my opinion, when it comes to like basketball versus football or some other sports, recruiting is so much more important because basketball is kind of, you know, it's definitely a team game, but like. When you're when you're in the one and done era that we are, you have to get these really really good guys and try and get them for one year. And those types of guys can carry you a long way, even in just one year. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm not gonna go that far, but definitely talent is huge. Coaching can get you certain spots. We've seen it in the NCAA tournament, right? We see we, we see a Cinderella team every year, but uh, it's easier for a coach to not have to worry about being a good coach if you've got that much talent. So, I mean, Jawan Howard, I think he's a good coach. He's bringing in talent. Michigan basketball is going to be fucking on top of on top of the college basketball scene for next decade if, if Howard can keep this up. Yeah, Howard's definitely building up the program and making that the team to, you know, circle on your schedule. Uh, doesn't matter if you're Ohio State or Michigan State or anybody in the Big Ten. Anybody who they're playing, I would circle Michigan and be like, hey, this is going to be a tough game, guys. So, hey, I love seeing Howard, you know, come in and after one, you know, one short season already make a huge impact. Yeah, and I think the big thing about that 2021 class is this 2020 class was really good as well. Um, you know, it wasn't, he came in and already, he, he made a dent in that 2020 class, even, uh, you know, recovering from John Beeline leaving. It, it wasn't like, uh, he came in and there was this big dip. Um, so there's no like, um, gap, I would say in talent levels on that, uh, in this recruiting class, in the couple of recruiting classes that Juwan Howard has done. So, um, the guys that are coming in, so that's why I'm excited about 2021 and beyond is because, they're adding those five stars to an already yeah. talented roster. Um, you know, I, we're, we're going to assume that Franz Wagner and Isaiah Livers are gone after this year, as well For as sure. probably Austin Davis. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, I may probably Sean D Brown too. I don't, I don't really know his uh, where he's at uh, academically, um, but they're going to lose some of these guys that they've had in the, in the, um, in the program for the last couple of years, but these new guys I think are going to make an impact. Hunter Dickinson is probably going to start this year, he um, has to. seven foot two. And everyone is, is pretty high on him. Um, and this kid, uh, this, this kid that just uh, committed can play center as well. And he's super athletic. So 
Um, I think Juwan Howard's going to have a lot of options. And what what really has has been a big thing standing out to me is the culture that he's brought in already. He has established this family feel. Like Shondi Brown came in after just six months and said, wow, this is like the closest I've felt to any teammates in my entire life. And it's like, how do, how do you do that in just six months? I think sometimes transfers can come in and feel like they're an outsider for the entire time that they're with the new program. And so I think it has a lot to say for Juwan Howard. You know, he's bringing that heat culture up here. And I think so. Plus uh, the, the coaching staffs that he's uh, surrounded himself with for the X's and O's. And then on the recruiting side, Michigan basketball is in going in a really, really good direction. If only we could say the same thing for the football team. <laughs> well, we might as well go into it. <laughs> that was our one positive for the day. Um, so Trying I wanted, to be bought back to reality now. Yeah, wanted to start with it at least and get get uh, give us a, a good start here. Um, but Michigan did get throttled by Indiana on the road. Um, I want to start with what do you guys think about Indiana? Is that a legit football team? Or or is Michigan just that bad, or maybe a combination of the both? I think it's a combination of both. I mean, Michael Penix has done it for three weeks now, three weeks in a row, and he's putting balls where they should be. He looks at his decision 99% of the time. Um, I mean, there was a couple of touchdowns where Michigan DBs were right on the guy, but the ball was just placed perfectly, and those wide receivers went up and got it. So fucking you can't win when you're committing penalties and have offsides constantly throughout the game or at least the first half. I mean, you can't the dude's just clapping and you're jumping offsides and he's got you five times. I mean, guys on offense were dropping passes. It's just, I mean, if you can't play clean, you can't beat anybody. So I don't know. I do think Indiana's good. I think Michael Penix is that talented. I think it's, I think they're going to go four and oh, it's going to be two undefeated teams going into the, their Ohio state game. And I think Ohio State should be on upset alert, man. Indiana plays tough teams close every year. So I'm excited to see that uh, moving forward. Yeah, Jack, I I think you hit the nail right on the head. Honestly, there, I mean, we played poorly and they played pretty, you know, relatively well. Um, They had, what, those three receivers slash tight ends who were all, you know, pretty solid. And Panic's tight end was a stud. Yeah, dude. Penix made a couple throws where I was almost like he's doing a little sidearm, almost looked like Stafford a little bit there, you know. So I I can't be totally pissed that we lost to that team when we've seen that every year they've been growing. But I can be absolutely livid against our performance when I know what we're capable of. That to me is just like totally unacceptable. So I, I'm a, I'm in agreement with you guys. I think that Indiana team is pretty legit. And, you know, Paul Gable came on with us last week and said that, right? He yeah. was like, this is not a fluke that Indiana, you know, beat Penn State, even though Penn State obviously didn't come out and play good against Maryland either. So maybe they're not that good. But that team plays pretty legit. That defense is good, just like he said. Um, and, and Penix is the real deal. And Stevie Scott 
that dude's going to be playing on Sundays. Their running back was legit. He's 230 pounds. And I mean, that dude's going to be, they've already put running backs in the league. And so he's going to be the next one that, that I think it goes to the league. Um, now with that being said, I went back and rewatched the game and it is, I think it was a closer game than it originally looked like. If we don't jump off sides seven times, that's just right there as a game changer. They were able to, like, we had, we knew our weakness going into that was them throwing up balls to the, to the corners, you know, at the corners. And then we gave them free plays. We gave them literal opportunities to do that. And it's like, okay, could you make it any easier for them? You know, I'm like, gee, uh, you know, it's, I think that right there, it was a big game changer, especially in the beginning of the game. And and then it, like you, when that stuff happens, you start pointing fingers, and like that's when you know the chemistry really starts going down. So um, that was frustrating. But you know there were just a couple plays on offense. You know the the Ronnie Bell where Joe Milton overthrew him once again. That's seven points. Um, there was a couple plays on defense where it's like. Um, you know, third and 15 and Vincent Gray still gets a pass interference. And it's like, all right, man, you are actually running with the guy. You don't need to to grab him. We talked about this. And so I, it's just, um, I don't know. I think it was closer, closer than, uh, than it looked originally. Obviously we were all pissed and, and Indiana looked like the better team all day. And I think they were, um, but yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was actually closer when you looked back on it and identified the mistakes that were being made by Michigan. And if Michigan plays a clean game, I think that it's a uh, probably one score game, or or maybe they win. You know. Um, so, um, yeah. What do you guys think was the most? I mean, where do you think the bright spots were for Michigan, if any? And where do you think was the biggest problem? Was it the same thing with the secondary or were there other things that came about in this game than did uh, during or against Michigan State? For me, I think the defense as a whole looked terrible. I mean, you're you're not disciplined on the defensive line. You're not disciplined in the secondary. The only guys who showed up to play on the defense were Dax Hill and Shit, maybe just Dax <laughs> Hill, man. Like, I can't even think of anybody else, really. Quiddy Pay had a couple of nice pressures, a couple of nice plays. But, um, I mean, that's that is just so tough to watch. I mean, I finally got to a point where I texted you guys later in the day or the day after. And I was like, you know what? I just want to see talent at this point. I don't even care about wins and losses. I want to see Joe Milton, you know, spread the ball around on offense. We're clearly not a run first team, so that just needs to be scrapped. I mean, every time Michigan started throwing the ball, we're actually moving uh, down the field and getting points. So I, I thought Quorum played well. I think he's our number one running back right now. I think Milton, he's he's slowly getting better every single game. I think he threw for over 300 yards. And, um, yeah, my expectations are at a minimum right now. But I just want to see talent. That's it. Give me something exciting to watch at least. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of bright spots, I would maybe say like Ronnie Bell. I think yeah. Ronnie Bell managed to, you know, rack up a number of yards. And then, you know, just saying uh, Ronnie Bell, man, I've been said it. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. He had a nice little catch in the end uh, zone, too. Went up and got a ball. Yeah. Dude. Ronnie's legit. I'm telling you, he, give the kid a chance. 
He's the real deal, man. I, I, that's another guy I honestly think is going to play at the next level. And, um, so one, one thing, uh, let's talk about the offense while we're on that, on that, um, on that, uh, topic. And Ronnie Bell was one person who in the second half, even when we were down 24 to seven showed fight, he all of a sudden stepped up as a leader I loved the one, you know, he got two big catches in a row when we went on that run for a minute in the third quarter. And he was like, you know, ah, you know, fired up. Let's go. And it felt, it felt like we hadn't seen that from literally anybody on this football team since first half of the Minnesota game. Mm -hmm. And and so, cause the second half of the Minnesota game, I felt like they were just coasting and cruising anyway, but like, I hadn't seen that since it, since like Donovan Jeter, you know, picked the ball off and went into the end zone. And so it was nice to see that from somebody. I would have, I would have guessed it was coming from Ronnie cause he's the man. He does play like that. I think he plays with passion, but it, to me, that's where if I'm Jim Harbaugh, I'm going in and to the, to meetings this week and saying, showing Ronnie Bell tape to say, play like this guy all the time every single snap. So like, that's where I think I'm frustrated. And I hate to be like, Oh, you know, talent saying that guys aren't playing hard. Cause I know that all these guys play really hard on every snap. Like it, that's a dumb thing to say that they're just lazy. Um, but at least they, it, there's, there's a next level of fight and fire that you can play with. And Ronnie had that even when we were down. And I felt until Joe, unfortunately threw that pick, I felt like he was the turning point and going to lead us back to it, you know, to a spot in order that we could have had a chance to win that game. What do you guys have on Ronnie Bell? And, and maybe were there any other guys that you thought had the same thing? I mean, with Ronnie Bell, like Kalen said earlier, I mean, he's the guy he, you guys both mentioned it. He, he, he played with passion. He had a big game. I, lo- I loved seeing Cornelius Johnson uh, make that nice catch for a touchdown. I think in the first half, um, I mean, that was a fucking, that was Joe Milton's first, 20 plus yard completion of the season. And it was a dime in the end zone. And Cornelius Johnson was just fucking flying. The dude was just running as fast as he could. And he ended up catching up to the ball. And uh, it was that, a beautiful was, t- touchdown grab. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but like that was what we thought we'd see. Yes. Five times a game this year, right? That was mm-hmm. what we were so excited. And it, it is tough that it took till game three for us to see that, but I yeah. hope maybe it happens more in the future. Well, I'm curious too. If we didn't already, if we didn't <clears throat> plan on seeing some more of that, uh, if Nico hadn't gone, right? I think maybe Nico was part of the game plan, uh, and you know his absence from the program. Now we're really seeing some of that and some of how it's hurting us. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, even though this wide receiver room is really talented, being able to just throw the ball up to Nico Collins is you know, a a gift for any quarterback out there. So I think it definitely still hurts that we, that we don't have Nico Collins, especially just another veteran guy. You know, the fact that even though Roman Wilson and Cornelius Johnson are studs, they're still in their third game ever in college football. So like you can't expect for them to, you know, just be, you know, top receivers in the country like Nico Collins is right away. Um, yeah, I did want to real quick before we move on. You had a chance to rewatch the game. I don't know, Jack, if you had a chance either. I mm-hmm. haven't looked at it, but one thing that stood out to me was 
I felt like there were a lot of drops. Yeah. And I was unsure, was it just wide receivers dropping the ball? Or is it Joe not putting touch on the ball and just throwing a missile at you when you're five feet away? I don't, so, I don't know if you have any insight on that. The one to Eric Hall literally hit him in the numbers. Yeah. Literally couldn't have been a better pass. And that's where you just catch the ball with your hands, dude. And so uh, it's a little frustrating because I think Eric Hall has a ton of talent and could yeah. be really good for us. But he's got a problem. He's got an Eric Ebron problem right now. And it's not boding well for, for Michigan. And so that's frustrating. Um, there was a couple other ones. Uh, Nick Eubanks had a drop. I it's tough to say it was a drop. He just didn't haul it in. The the receiver, it, the the ball was right on the money to him. Um, the defender made a really good play to kind of get his hand on it, but Nick had a chance to still reel it in, and he he kind of let it slip through his fingers. Um, there was one more to AJ Henning. Um, that was a it was a tough ball from Joe, but he got his hands yeah, on it. A little high. So, little high. Yeah. I, I actually don't think that drops were as bad uh, or as big of a problem in this game as they were uh, previously. Um, so I, I wouldn't say that. Um, I think that, they're an uh, issue, though, because th- they are kind of like adding up, right? Because yes. I think like last year, there's maybe only like in the Wisconsin game last year, a handful of drops. But other than that, I couldn't even tell you about a specific drop, maybe besides Ronnie Bell and oh, State. Fucking but Ohio I mean, State. Ohio State, there was like five drops. We could okay. have been in that game if you guys caught the ball. I mean, <laughs> DPJ at the end of the first half, Nico. I mean, everybody was dropping the ball against Ohio State. Well, maybe that I'm just misremembering. Game. Maybe I'm just misremembering, but I, I feel like this season, every game, I'm like, there's a very catchable ball, and it was like botched drop, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Well, and it, it also it also just seems I, I think it is uh it's magnified because we can't run the ball, so that's our only option. So you're looking to make every single catch and every single play. And then also on the other side of the ball, Indiana and Michigan State both now have caught literally every single ball and made unbelievable catches against us. So it's magnified both ways there where it, I don't know. I, it, I, I don't disagree with you that it, it still is a problem because these balls, they have to um, they have to be caught. And and I think that is an issue. One thing I did want to talk to you guys about, though, is Joe Milton. I still think he is going to be very good in the future. I don't 100%. think he's there yet. Um, I think he struggles with his reads still. I think that he can't go to the second or third read all the time. So he's stuck on that first guy. Um, that was pretty apparent after re- rewatching the game. His head is not really moving from side to side. It's definitely stuck st- sticking on one guy. Um, I still think he's going to get it. He's going to get his touch at some point. It, it It's different in practice than it is in the game. And at some point he's going to feel that. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about though, was his leadership style. He is not Ronnie Bell fired up at any time, whether they have a touchdown, whether they have anything. Do you guys think that or do you wish that he would be a little bit more fiery, especially when this team seems down in the dumps, when they need a little bit of that leader leadership fire? I feel like most people just expect the quarterback to be a leader and show that fire. And we didn't see it out of Shea. And that was always something that I was hoping to see out of whoever the quarterback was going to be this year. Now we obviously know it's Joe. Um, but Joe's a pretty quiet guy 
from what we've seen. I mean, he kind of goes out there, does his job, sits on the bench. I mean, he doesn't show a whole lot of emotion. And um, not saying it's a problem, but, I mean, I feel like that's kind of the guy that the whole team is supposed to be looking towards to kind of get their – get their energy going and get the, you know, you know, get a feel for the game and where they're supposed to be at and where their emotions are supposed to be. So I'd like to see it out of a quarterback. And I don't know, man, it's uh, I don't even remember the question you asked. I'm just so lost. <laughs> I'm lost at all times. Yeah. I mean, I, I get the impression more that Joe's one of those like quiet confidence kind of leaders, yeah. right? He's like a, a guy. Cause when, when he first stepped on the field, I like felt the confidence through the TV, right? Where I was like, man, this guy has so much swagger, like it's over, right? And that's more the leadership style I get from Joe. And I'm I'm not saying everybody has to be like a Tim Tebow, like fired up, screaming in your face. But I mean, I do think it would be nice to see Joe maybe like pick up a teammate or just like, you know, lead a huddle or something like that. And maybe then that would at least give him like a guy to rally around. Yeah, I think he's the calm, cool, collective, cool guy, right? He's almost like too cool to show emotion. Um, and but I think that works for him. And it's he's obviously felt calm in the pocket, even when things aren't going well. He still looks calm, at least from the from the TV. Um, but I think as a leader of a football team, you have to also feel out your other guys and see, you know, oh, do they need a pickup? Because then I have to be the one to provide that. Um, that's part of being a really good quarterback and leader. Um, so it's not something that I think is like, oh, he's not going to be really good because of this. It's just something that I think he could improve on, especially where where this team has, is right now, especially like obviously now we're playing for 2021. So I'd like to see him do that a little bit more and, and become big, a bigger leader. Um, and then let's move over to the defensive side too. Um, Jack, you said the whole defense played terrible. Um, I, it's hard to disagree with that statement. <laughs> now Aiden Hutchinson is out with a fractured uh, foot um, for for the rest of the season. I'm assuming. Um, I Quiddy Pay went off for a little bit. I think he did come back, um, but I wouldn't doubt if he maybe opts out if he's banged up too. Who knows? Um, but. Don Brown played zone. He did. He played zone for pretty much the entire game. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but he did. And dude, he had no other option. It was either get absolutely blitzed on the fucking sides or, or do something and like have at least a chance. And I was glad to see that he at least was something, but I was also just like, Don, I'm going to be honest. It's a little, too little, too late here, you know? Yeah, that's that's the thing. Is like, okay, now we're just going to go 100. I, I don't think anybody was asking for 100% zone. It was just throw zone in there sometimes. Throw a couple zone concepts to, to help your guys out. But instead, they went to 100% zone. And it couldn't have been more apparent to Brad Hawkins, Vincent Gray, uh, Dax Hill, that they had literally never played zone since they've stepped on foot, step foot on campus. I mean, so what it literally would look like is they, you know, when you're in zone, you, you cover a patch of grass, right? You cover a literal zone. And then if a guy is coming through your zone, you have to cling to him. You have to pick him up. They weren't picking the guys up. They were just covering grass. And so a guy would come in their zone and they'd kind of be like, uh, I got my, I'm right here. I'm right here. But like, you have to get to your guy 
And so there, there, that was what we, we always called it when I played was you covered grass. We're really that 30 yard line right there. You had it fucking covered, man. And that's what I saw out of Vincent Gray and Brad Hawkins specifically. I think Dax got it pretty, pretty, he played a lot better than the other guys, but, um, it, it was very apparent that they had never played zone in their lives. Um, or at least since, since they've gotten to Michigan. And so like, that's frustrating too. Cause it's like, okay, did Jim Harbaugh just say, Hey Don, we have to go 100% zone or you're fired. And then Don's like, okay, sure. I'll show you how it looks when we do zone. Or did they have a fucking conversation? Like, Hey Jim, I don't know how to play zone. Like we've never practiced that before. It's going to look like a shit show. Or how about you watch the Indiana tape and you go like, Oh, this is the kind of way they play. Maybe we can get some favorable matchups on our end and come up with a game plan by mixing some zone and some man concepts in there. Like I feel like at this point that would make sense, but it's definitely not what Michigan did. (laughs) Whatever they did, was it looked? I mean, bro, you said they played zone majority of that game, and I, I, I get why Don would be like, you know what? Fuck everybody for giving me shit. I'm I gonna put him in it. zone, and then just look what happens. That's what happens when we play zone. Man was the best thing that we could do, and, and he probably never practiced zone before. So he's just like, whatever. This defense is gonna get shredded either way. I don't really care how it happens. It's probably just a big fuck you to all of all of us Michigan fans <laughs> for talking shit. I really think it, it, it seemed like that. Cause there was again, no adjustments from zone back to man either, which I don't, I mean, he's probably like, nothing's going to fucking work. So I was trying to do something that we actually at, at least know, you know, and maybe he was right in the sense that like, if these guys played man enough that at some point by the end of the year, or through some experience, Vincent Gray and Jamon Green or whoever else is playing corner will be decent man-to-man. But now, I think they're all lost. You're yeah. trying to throw way too much at them, and it's fucking over. So, it's over. I, I mean, it's well, it's definitely over. The whole thing's over. Blow it up. Blow it up completely. <laughs> um, but I think, I mean, Don Brown is... It, I I don't know. Do you, why not fire him right now? What what good do you get from from having Don Brown as a coach for the rest of the season? No good. So, can't get any worse. I mean, Ohio State's literally going to score a hundred on us. Oh um, yeah, hundred percent. Like they the whole the whole Ryan Day saying I want to hang a hundred on them. They literally are going to hang a hundred on us. That's yeah. no joke. Um, that I I mean they're going to be. They're they're gonna be like spiking the ball with like thirty seconds left up ninety bro. And <laughs> make sure they get that play. to make sure they get a last <laughs> touchdown. Um I mean I don't know if you guys have seen Justin Fields stats. He Justin has ele- last year. He has eleven touchdowns this year in three games. He has eleven incompletions this year in three games. It's amazing. He's seventy two for eighty three for eleven touchdowns. Like dude. That's what Ohio State, fuck? man. I mean, I, I don't – the thing the thing that at least makes me feel a little bit better is like, yes, this Michigan team is a shit show and this defense is dog shit, but even if they were really good, they're not stopping that, are they? No. You can't stop Justin Fields. I mean, we had a good defense last year and they got fucking torched by him. Yeah. So, yeah. They, we had a good defense. We had a, a really good defense in 2018. And it wasn't even Justin Fields, and we got 
they put 62 on us. Yeah. Yeah, and Jim even said, I mean, in his presser, he's going like, hey, we're we're seeing it in practice. Uh, we're just not seeing it in the game. I feel like we're going to turn the corner. Uh, honestly, at this point, I'm hoping either, like, games start getting canceled for some reason, or I hope that it's like, uh, what, 2019, where he was like, we're turning the corner. And we were all like, Jim, you're full of shit. And then we <laughs> turned the corner. Yeah. Yeah, right now, I don't believe a word that comes out of his mouth. <laughs> How can it's all coach he, speak? He, he well, he's also speaking it so like, so passively, oh, like yeah. he could give zero fucks. But I I I also don't want to put that on him because like I think it was Vistardis came out today or Stuber maybe in uh, in their press conferences and he was like, the last thing I'm gonna do is question my coach's love for this university and like how hard he wa- how bad he wants it. And I believe that. I think Jim like literally bleeds for this. The his ego like wants to be Michigan's guy so bad. He would be the hero, the savior, and he wants to be that guy so bad. And so like I'm not gonna say that he doesn't want it, but I think he's just not the guy that he used to be now. And so we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit coming up with Larry Lage too. Um, I'm sure with kind of the state of uh, of where this administration is at and everything like that. But um, I, is there anything else you guys want to touch on with the game, Kalen? I, what else do you want to vent about, man? There's there's so much to vent about with this football game, dude. I'm like I'm so angry about Joe Milton's performance. Not because of the way Joe played, but because of what we see throughout the entire country, right? We see, like, all these guys who play backup who are able to step in and just fucking kill it, right? You see, like, oh, Felipe Franks is hurt. Oh, just put Kyle Trask in. Oh, there you go. Potential Heisman winner, right? Uh, You see freaking Graham Mertz. We saw Ohio State do that with, uh, you know, win a national championship with Cardale Jones, third string backup quarterback. Why can we not take our backup quarterbacks and develop them so that when we put them in, we're like, holy shit, these guys are legit. They've been practicing. Evidently, it wasn't until, you know, Devin Gardner came in. Sorry, Jack, I know he's your favorite guy, but frankly, he was not that great at Michigan. He didn't win a national championship. He didn't win a Big Ten championship. (laughs) Nobody so, won a Big Ten championship or a national championship in Michigan. But, if, but those are the yard, those are the scales that we measure our players by in today's era. So unless you either want to change the scale for Michigan and be like, hey, we won nine games, great job, you know. So it's I'm pissed about the coaching for Joe Milton. I want them to develop the quarterbacks so that we put them in games and they execute and play really well. And I feel like they, you know, did Joe Milton a disservice. I mean, he's got plenty of room to improve. Plenty of time to improve, so I'm not, like, worried. But I just look at a guy like Jim Harbaugh, and I'm like, you're supposed to be the quarterback guru. What happened? Agreed. 100%. And it is coaching. I mean, that's what it's been the entire time that Michigan has had. You know, every other team in the country has got a quarterback that can make these throws. And Milton's shown flashes of it, and he's improving. But it's like, dude, how can he – why is he not ready now? Only have three, four, five years with these guys, and Milton's right now in year three or four. And he's not ready to throw a deep ball to a wide open guy. Like you're supposed to be the, the quarterback guru, like you just said. I mean, the the coaching it's it's evident that there's something something missing. It's like you've been there for two years, and you mean all it took was a summer with Devin Gardner to improve you from not ready to ready, Jim? That, what the hell? 
Like, yeah, how that is a, a great point, Kalen. Because, like, what are what are they doing in Schembechler Hall if it's if you, all you have to do is go out and, and note, you know, Devin, I think, is probably a pretty good quarterbacks coach, right? He knows what it takes to win uh, and not lose at this at this level, especially at Michigan. But if I'm sorry, if at Michigan you don't have a better quarterbacks coach in your facility than Devin Gardner, then that's a problem. If you can't have somebody take a six foot five, 245 athletic phenom with an, a cannon arm and mold him into something serviceable enough that he's going to make plays and, and be a, a game changer for Michigan. Well, then you do, you need to go out and hire somebody else, right? Like that's plain and simple. If Devin Gardner is that guy, then fucking hire him. Right. right. Like, I, I don't know if the guy's in your backyard. I, what is, I, I don't, I think I thought Josh Gaddis was going to be the guy and, and he bring all this up-tempo thing. I'm not totally sold on it now. And, you know, I, I think Ben McDaniels is the uh, quarterback's coach, right? Uh, or the passing coordinator or whatever his title is. And shit, dude, like you're not going to get much more talent than here. So where, where are we, where, what are we missing here? If you can't develop one out of Dylan McCaffrey, Joe Milton, Shea Patterson, all four plus stars with unbelievable talent, then if I'm JJ McCarthy, I'm like, I'm good, man. Probably going to go to Bama, probably going to go to Ohio state, to be honest, and fucking win a national title and then become the number one draft pick. Yeah. Why, why wouldn't you? That's so frustrating, man. I I just don't understand why we can't be on that same level. We literally have the same amount of money, the same facilities, play in the same conference. They're our literal rival. Like, it just, I, I don't understand. The resources are all there. So tell me what's holding Michigan back to go out and hire those types of people that are going to change this program. And it's tough, too, because I'm almost like, as much as I just complained about coaching i almost can't even complain about it because ohio state's stealing our coaches so (laughs) like i have no idea there's a reason they're getting them (laughs) yeah would you rather coach at michigan ohio state i'd rather coach at ohio state for a million reasons you know and, and a lot of people have said it's something about the culture at michigan and the tradition that they're holding on to and just the inability to adapt to the new age and I'm I'm hoping Larry's got a little bit of insight into that when we talk to him. Definitely. I, I think that is that is one of the keys. I think it's it sounds like it's deeper than just just the one coach's problem. This the, it's not just this uh this coaching staff or something like that. Um so let's uh with that being said, why don't we take it right into Larry here and we'll bring him on and he can uh hopefully give us a little more insight into that. All right, now we welcome on Larry Lage, sports writer for AP and Ann Arbor native, as well as a Michigan State Spartan, correct? Well, uh, I, am a Michigan, I, I am a Michigan State graduate. I don't know that I would go as far as saying a Spartan, but I, uh, <laughs> I've, I've lived in the two towns my whole life and uh, very proud of that and also uh, proud of the fact that I am uh, 
an objective journalist, uh, particularly when those two schools play, uh, even if no one believes me, was uh, <laughs> well, well chronicled in uh, Divided We Stand, a really cool documentary on the Michigan-Michigan State rivalry that Fox Sports did last year. Yeah, that was that was a very, very cool uh, spot that they did there. And um, so, uh, well, thank you very much for coming on. Obviously, you've got, um, you know, you've been in the media for a long time, especially here in Ann Arbor and, and covering the state of Michigan as a whole. And it's not a great time for the state of Michigan as a whole for, for sports. Um, they've definitely had some better times. Um, coming from the media, you know, whether it be from the Michigan side or the Michigan state side, um, what is the feeling around both athletic departments? Obviously Michigan feels like they're at somewhat of a crossroads right now and not sure where they're going. Um, and then Michigan state is trying to figure where, figure out where they're at with their football program under Mel Tucker too. Yeah, uh, both programs definitely had a Saturday for to forget. Uh, Michigan State getting routed at Iowa and Indiana beating Michigan for the first time since '87, and and really uh, controlling that game throughout. You know, now that I think about it, Michigan hasn't led a game since that they beat Minnesota, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of tough to uh, win when you never lead. Uh, and you know, Michigan was ranked 16th in the preseason. Um, maybe in hindsight, when you look at all the players they lost one way or another, maybe that was inflated. You know, we'll certainly see by the end of the year, but, um, you know, expectations were certainly higher than than the reality of Michigan getting off to a one and two start. I think most people thought Michigan State would struggle this year, no matter who the coach was. Um, and I think that'll be true. Uh, but, you know, Michigan State will have that victory over Michigan to uh, point to even if it's the only win it has all year long. Um, I, don't, I don't think that'll be the case, but, you know, who knows in this eight-game sprint, um, maybe six games for Wisconsin, uh, how it's going to all shake out. Yeah, um, it definitely the Spartans, if they're even if they're one in seven, they're going to be pretty proud of that victory over the Wolverines. Yeah, they won, um, they won their Super Bowl at the big house. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about where, where you think Michigan is at right now. Um, it's year six of Jim Harbaugh. Um, they have definitely, um, you know, digressed. They have, they have not, uh, uh, done well here in this last couple years. I would say, honestly, his best year was 2016 and they haven't really, I mean, end of 2018, they were back to kind of that height right before the Ohio state game. Um, where do you see this program at right now as far as comparing them to the rest of the Big Ten and, the, and nationally? And where do you see the administration trying to get them in the next few years here? Well, let's take that backwards. Um, I think the administration um, from President Mark Slissel to Ward Manuel, the athletic director, I think Jim Harbaugh still has the support of the people who matter in terms of firing him or keeping him or extending him. So let's let's say that first, that, that the decision makers at the university and in the athletic department, I think, still believe in Jim Harbaugh and think he's going to turn this around. Um, that might be political spin. And, you know, only time will tell. Uh, clearly, Michigan is fighting for space behind Ohio State. It's kind of like um, the big one and the little 13. Uh, it might be a little dramatic, 
There's probably different layers to this, levels to this, as they say. Um, but I, I think Michigan is in that second cut of Big Ten teams behind Ohio State, uh, fighting for its place. I think everybody thought in year six that Michigan would be farther along. I think if the pandemic didn't hit and they didn't have the departures, you know, chiefly with like a Nico Collins, um, you know, a player like that, that could have made all the difference in the world. I mean, you think about what this receiving core would have, could have, should have been with Nico Collins, Donald Peoples-Jones, um, and Tariq Black. All of a sudden, Ronnie Bell's a number four receiver, maybe the best number four receiver in the country. But that's not the reality, right? Uh, that would be a spin. Uh, Avery Thomas, another huge loss. Um, so we won't know. And other programs had to deal with the same thing to some degree, especially in the Big Ten, uh, after they postponed the season and then brought it back. Um, so long story short, I, I think Michigan is at a crossroads, to use a word you used earlier. And I don't think that's a place anyone thought – uh, it would be in year six of Jim Harbaugh. And when you look at the rest of the season, um, it's not hard to project, you know, four and four, maybe something like that. One Maybe at the a, top. <laughs> yeah, maybe a win on either side of that. Um, you know, and you want to say, like, this is the pandemic year. Let's just throw it out. It's an aberration, whatever. Um, and that's true to some extent, but, um, you know, the bowl games and the Ohio state games have shown that this program has been in decline. Um, as you mentioned from the start of the Harbaugh uh, era, when um, there were some legitimate reasons for hope. Um, I think his contract situation, no matter what the university says or the athletic department says behind closed doors or pointing to, you know, months old comments, it can't be good in recruiting. Uh, you guys could probably speak to it more than I can because it's not my job to follow recruiting, so I don't. Uh, but it's just not a usual situation for a major college football or basketball coach to have one year left on his deal after the current year and be out recruiting. Now, you could say, you know, no coach knows that he's going to be there in three or four or five years to tell a mom or a dad that in a living room uh, or on a Zoom uh, or a Skype. Uh, but um, I, I don't think anyone thought year six of Jim Harbaugh would look like this uh, obviously the pandemic is a, is a factor, but um, I think that would be an excuse just to uh, chalk it all up to pandemic blues. And when we're talking about Harbaugh too, I mean, we've talked about it uh, amongst ourselves uh, in previous episodes. And I mean, he doesn't look to us like the same guy that came in in 2015, 2016, even 2018 going into that Ohio state game where Michigan was actually favored to win. I mean, do you, what have you seen a difference in Harbaugh? I mean, this year compared to previous years, and I know obviously it's a little bit harder through through Zoom and with COVID and everything going on. But what's your take on Harbaugh and where he's at and how he's feeling? Um, you know, compared to past seasons, do you think he's still got that fire? From what you can see and hear, it does not seem that he has the the fire or the passion or the energy that he had a few years ago um, earlier in his. Uh, Michigan um, tenure. There was a moment at um, against Michigan State where he briefly uh, argued a uh, pass interference call or defensive holding uh, and gave up pretty quickly. And you know, you could see Jim Harbaugh three four years ago, you know, 
throwing his play sheet and his headset. And that doesn't lead to a win um, by any means. But when you're looking for clues of, you know, is he into it anymore as much, um, it's hard to see. And, of course, um, as you mentioned, you know, it's hard to pop on a Zoom. Like, um, so, um, you know, that's a factor as well. He seemed to go out of his way today in his news conference, his weekly Monday news conference, going into the Wisconsin game to say, you know, I've still got energy and passion and fire uh, to do my job. Um, but, you know, he says a lot of things that, um, you know, seem curious or kind of raise your eyebrows. And it's, um, you know, we're in a, we're in an election year and it almost seems like he's a politician sometimes, like talking about things that no one else is seeing. And speaking of his press conferences and how he's presented himself to the media, you know, after week one, he came out and he talked to the, you know, he was on inside Michigan football and he was talking to the media. And then it seems like he's done this in the past and now he's done it in back-to-back weeks on inside Michigan football. After the Michigan state game, he sent Josh Gaddis to pizza house or I don't, I don't even know what they're doing it now, but um, for that inside Michigan football segment, he sends his, his other guy, even though, that's in his contract to be doing those types of shows. And so um, I think this week it was cornerbacks coach Mike Zordick on it today. Um, and so to me, that looks like, all right, I'm deflecting the blame to other people or I'm not accountable for this or I don't want to take the accountability in front of the fans, in front of the media and the press. Um, and so that's a little bit odd to me or it's it's tough as for the fans to see, see that and say, Yes, this is a leader of this team. He's taking the accountability. He's really, you know, he's going to get it turned around instead of when things go badly, Jim Harbaugh kind of goes into hiding. And then also on top of that, I think it is a job of Ward Manuel to say, Jim, this is in your contract. You can't just go into hiding when things don't go well for you. So where do you see that from the inside, from either Ward Manuel's office and then from Jim Harbaugh's office? Is he kind of hiding when things don't go well? Well, I'll go backwards again on that. I think, number one, I don't think there's anybody at the university that really tells Jim Harbaugh what to do. Um, and you could argue that's a problem. Um, I don't think there's anyone that's going to hold Jim Harbaugh to the letter of the contract and say, hey, with IMG, you're supposed to be on this radio show or you're supposed to make this appearance. Um, you're supposed to go to uh, or have a Zoom with the M club or, you know, whatever they used to do with the Monday afternoon lunches uh, that um, kind of have faded away. Uh, so I don't think anyone's going to tell him uh, what to do. Uh, I think it's legitimate to question those things. Um, I think you could also observe that Jim Harbaugh does what's required of him in terms of the media and does not do much, if any else. Um, I challenge you to find uh, a one-on-one -on -one interview that uh, isn't, you know, part of his compensation package, like maybe Rich Eisen. Uh, very, very infrequently uh, does he do that. He, a, he doesn't have to, and B, I don't think he wants to. Um, and I don't think, um, he thinks the media, new media is on his side, so he just kind of puts up his blue wall. Uh, I don't know if you saw today's press conference, but Angelique Shangelis from the Detroit News, Angel the Big House, got into his contract situation, which I asked him about going into week one. She brought it back up today. 
and kind of pressed him, like, do you want to stay? And where are the contract talks? And he would not address it, uh, saying, whatever I say, you're going to write what you want to write, so I'm not going to say. Uh, so he's just going to kind of submarine that topic, I guess, and we'll just have to wait and see, and hopefully uh, the AP will uh, have the scoop when there's news. And going and into that's that... Coming, for, well, sorry, go ahead, Jack. Well, I was saying, going into that further... But when we've kind of talked about it, like we get the feeling as well that the administration will keep him around. But I kind of get the feeling that he might just be done after this year. Like he might say, you know what, I'm done with Michigan. I've, you know, the fan base is just not on my side. I'm not doing what I wanted to do or what I expected to have happen. I'm going to move on to a different, you know, whether it's NFL or maybe some other thing in sports. I mean, what do you, what do you think will happen with Harbaugh after this year? So I don't think Michigan or Jim Harbaugh um, has another option that either side is looking at. Um, Despite some rumors that you see, I cannot imagine that NFL teams are lining up to hire Jim Harbaugh right now if he's ready to leave. Maybe I'm wrong. Number two, I don't think Ward Manuel can like pull out the drawer and, and have a short list of people that he thinks will make a difference a Michigan difference and finally beat Ohio state and turn the tide. Like, I don't think that coach is out there. I think Michigan knows that. And I don't think Jim Harbaugh um, wants to leave. I think he likes raising his family here uh, growing up in Ann Arbor, which I would argue is the greatest city in the world to grow up in as a Ann Arbor public school graduate and resident and father of two Ann Arbor uh, (laughs) pioneer students, fourth generation, at least. Um, So I don't think Jim Harbaugh wants to leave. I don't think Jim Harbaugh has a great option to leave if he did. Um, and I don't think Michigan um, is entertaining the option to fire him because I don't think there's a coach out there that Michigan could hire that could come in and make a difference and turn the tide against the Blue, ja- uh, the, the Blue Jackets, the Buckeyes in, in Columbus. <laughs> I just don't think – like, okay, fire Jim Harbaugh, hire this guy. He makes a difference. 15 out of 16, spanning four coaches, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a uh, it's a systematic problem. It's, it's a recruiting problem. It's Ohio State has uh, a lot of advantages um, in recruiting. Uh, I think Ohio State can get in uh, more questionable academic kids. I think Ohio State has a state – to draw from that is richer in talent than Michigan. If you're talking about high school football um, and they flat out have it rolling. So um, I think Harbaugh is here to stay. I think um, I certainly wouldn't bet on that, um, but I don't, I don't think Harbaugh is itching to leave and I don't think Michigan's itching to fire him. And so you, you talked about some uh, some systemic issues with Michigan that maybe go beyond the coaching staff. And so Rich Rodriguez came out in his podcast, right, and said – I heard that after J.D. shared it on Twitter. I actually listened to it. I wish you would have actually said, as somebody I think tweeted to you, J.D., like, like what? Because he didn't say. Yeah, I know. I wanted him to, to go deeper into that because I'd love to hear what his examples were. Um, well, I it, think yeah, I think you talked a little bit about it, and John Bacon chronicled this really well in in Three and Out, and where he said, you know, if if we would have gotten support from within, maybe things would have been different. A, I believe that, but mm-hmm. 
B, I think Harbaugh has that support from within, and we're not seeing not working. Yeah. results that Michigan fans want. Um, I also and, think that Rich Rod put himself in a situation to not get support because he was an arrogant, stubborn asshole that was trying to change everything too. Yeah, well, I would probably drop the A but word, but you could argue <laughs> stubborn. I mean, but any coach that is confident and has had success and turns down Alabama is going to think he's pretty good. But, you know, hindsight being 2020, what if Michigan would have let him bring the defensive coordinator he wanted from West Virginia? What if he would have gotten support behind the scenes and publicly from key Michigan people? What if, what if, what if? We'll never know. Um, but, um, you know, I think, I think Rich Rodriguez is, um, a good coach. I think he's a pretty good guy. Um, you know, I'm certainly not with him behind closed doors, you know, 24 seven by any means, but, um, I'll always be curious to know or think how that could have, would have been different if he got support, but he didn't. Um, but Jim Harbaugh does have the support and, to the point we're making, it's still not making much of a difference. And, you know, um, it, you know, Brady Hoke was probably somewhere in the middle. Um, and, you know, Lloyd Carr, going back to Lloyd Carr, uh, he probably stayed a year or two longer than he wanted to. Um, you could also uh, make the point that there wasn't an assistant from his tree at Michigan that Michigan could go pluck from. Maybe if Mike DeBoard stayed at Central Michigan and won, maybe it would have been Mike DeBoard. Um, maybe if Ron English was at Eastern and, and kept winning there and, and getting extended, maybe it would have been Ron English. But, you know, there, there just wasn't um, there wasn't the assistant to elevate um, when Rich Rodriguez was hired. Um, and then even, you know, when Brady Hoke was hired, Brady Hoke was a former assistant, but um, obviously that didn't pan out either. Um, it's an interesting situation, you know, and, and I think a lot of Michigan decision makers and I think a lot of Michigan fans are okay with Michigan being good, having guys that appear to have good character and care about school, uh, even if they lose to Ohio state, but losing to Michigan state in a rebuilding year, Getting drilled at Indiana, I don't think is okay with Michigan fans, and uh, I I don't blame them for being upset and questioning what is going on uh, with Jim Harbaugh's program. And so, speaking of the fans, and obviously, if you've been on social media in the past two weeks, it's uh, it's the fire. People are already past the should we fire him. It's the let's look for the next guy type of type of conversation that's going on with fans. And, um, so let me ask you this, is the pressure from fans felt by Ward Manuel? Is it, or is it more, he's listening to the donors and the, the top, you know, alums in the, uh, in the university. Um, obviously the, the fans have felt, you know, the fire Harbaugh train has been on since he stepped a foot on campus. Right. Um, and it was the fire beeline train was, it was ready in 2007 after, um, you know, after they lost a couple games too. And obviously it, it worked out with sticking, sticking with him. Um, is that, is that pressure felt by Ward Manuel and Schlissel and even Harbaugh? 
I would say in a word, no. Um, and I would say that Harbaugh probably got a two or three year honeymoon before anybody was talking about firing him, unless there's some really out on the edge fan. Um, but I, I don't word manuals deal, right? Like president Slissel is not worried about the football coach when he's got a pandemic to deal with and other issues, uh, related to provost and former team doctor and lawsuits like Slissel use uh, Harbaugh's term had bigger fish to fry his phrase, which is what he said to me uh, going into week one. So I don't think, I think they hear it. I don't think they listen or pay attention or that it matters uh, to Ward Manuel. Uh, he played at Michigan. Uh, he knows football. Um, he knows how to run an athletic department. Um, and I don't think, you know, he rises and falls week to week and listens to what fans or donors think, because if he did, Harbaugh would not be the coach at Michigan. Yeah. And do you, do you think if, well, I, I think that if, if, uh, if Jim Harbaugh was not named Jim Harbaugh, um, he probably wouldn't have been given this long of a leash at Michigan. Um, but in the same sentence, uh, Jim Harbaugh was hired because he's Jim Harbaugh. So that's why he has the long leash. Right. Um, right. You know, and I had a, um, fellowship, uh, at the university of Michigan, it's called the Knight Wallace fellowship. It's a mid career sabbatical for journalists. Uh, we get to take, uh, whatever classes we want at the university, no credit, no grade, travel the world, work on a project. It was amazing. One of the things that came out of that, if you've noticed uh, during the national anthem in recent years, there's someone signing the national anthem in the corner. My mom and dad are deaf and my nephews. So I worked on access and ASL. So I got that done with Jim um, Hackett um, before Harbaugh was hired. My point in all this is one of the things I learned in an MBA class is in negotiations or in any business uh, situation, know what your BATNA is. Best alternative to a negotiated agreement. I don't think Michigan has a BATNA. I don't think there's someone there for Michigan. And, and conversely, I don't think Harbaugh has a BATNA. So I think this is a marriage that Michigan has to make work. Um, I don't think results Michigan fans are looking for are going to happen this year. Um, I think you could argue or have some reasonable amount of hope that it could be there next year in Milton's second year um, with a lot of returning players that took their lumps this year uh, in year seven of Harbaugh. Um, but will Michigan be to the point that it can beat Ohio state. I mean, crazier things have happened, but I certainly wouldn't bet on it. Yeah. And what's your take on, on Milton so far this year? I mean, personally, I think he's improved from game to game and, you know, I mean, obviously it's a weird year and you know, it's, it's only game three of his or going into game four of his college career. Um, what's your take on Milton? I mean, do you think he's going to improve? Do you think we've kind of seen what he can do or what, what do you have on him? So I think he had a spectacular start at Minnesota. I mean, just about flawless. I think in the next two games, the lack of a running game put too much pressure on him to make throws down the field in third and long. And I just don't think he's ready for that right now. Um, even though we heard a lot going into the season about his touch uh, improving 
we saw at Indiana that it still has a ways to go. Um, I can still see the receiver running wide open down the field. Who was that? Was that Cornelius Johnson? Ronnie, Ronnie Bell. Bell. Ronnie mm-hmm. Bell. I mean, wow. You're never going to have um, a more wide open guy down the field than that. Um, and certainly that can happen. Uh, I don't think Joe Milton's the problem. Uh, I don't think he's going to be the solution by himself to turn the season around. Um, and I think the big key is getting the running game going, uh, which starts with the inexperienced and now reshuffled offensive line. Um, because, you know, if Joe Milton's facing third and nine, third and 12, third and 13, like that's not a formula for success. I think, um, he also um, needs to improve a little bit in terms of staying in the pocket and, and waiting for reads to happen before tucking it down and running because he's not that fast, uh, really. He's not a running quarterback. He's not slow, but he's not a guy that's going to like beat a linebacker to the edge and get come up the corner uh, or even scare anybody with his legs. Uh, again, I'm not saying he's John Navarre, um, but – um, and John Navarro is a good guy. who got a lot of crap, by the way. Uh, <laughs> That's my number one Michigan quarterback, man. Yeah, That's really my... <laughs> good, really good guy too. Who got a lot of crap, and you know, you look at the success he had. But I mean, I even John Navarro would say he wasn't fast, and so I'm not saying <laughs> Joe Milton is that slow, but he's not. You know, he's certainly not um, uh, Denard Robinson. He's not Devin Gardner. Um, I'm not even sure he's Tate Forcier in terms of foot speed. So I think he needs to be a little bit more patient and stay in the pocket. And uh, that is to assume that guys are getting open. Like I'm not breaking down the all 22 film either. Um, so, um, so I think he's been okay. I don't think he's been horrible. I don't think he's been great. Um, and I think, you know, there is uh, a reason to be optimistic with him because with every snap, um, you know, he should be getting better. Um, so we'll see. I, I think you could argue that Michigan's one and two start is not because of Joe Milton. I think that's a pretty good argument, you know, where it is as much um, as people think that college football lives or dies with the quarterback. And it does to an extent, um, but he's been, like you said, he's been pretty average and, and he hasn't been the reason that they've won any games. He hasn't been the reason that they've, they've lost any games. So let's take a look on the defensive side where it does seem like that's where they've lost the last two games. Yeah, um, without a and, doubt. And I was going to say, I would think the number one problem with this team has been the secondary, uh, very shaky. Number two, I would say the running game and, you know, now the the pass coverage is going to be even more challenged because the news of today was Aiden Hutchinson, standout junior defensive end, is going to be out probably for the season uh, with a broken leg, uh, and he needs surgery. Um, so you know, Quiddy Pay, uh, who can be spectacular and has been banged up a bit uh, and has, has played through uh, things. Um, you know, they really need him now. Um, you know, and a guy like Taylor Upshaw, who has been chomping at the bit to get an opportunity, is going to get it this week. Um, and we got to interview him today. Um, and he popped off the Zoom about as much as a student athlete, you know, could. He's fired up to play. Um, 
you know, so there's going to be opportunities for people to step up, but the, the secondary is a problem. Um, and the scheme arguably is a problem. Um, so, you know, we'll see. Um, Dax Hill has been good. Um, I think, really good. uh, to some degree he's lived up to his billing. Um, I think Cornelius Johnson on the offensive side has been a bright spot. Um, um, so to answer a question you haven't asked, asked, I, I would, I would point to those two guys as, uh, as reasons for hope or, um, you know, a, a player on each side that I think has, has played well. Um, I would point to those two players, um, but there have not been too many, and that's why Michigan's one and two. And, and so speaking specifically to the defense again, um, you you spoke of the schemes, you spoke of the players, and Don Brown's obviously gotten a ton of heat in these in these last two games, and he did play zone in game two, and it went just about as poorly as his man and in, in uh, or sorry in game three as it as his uh, man did in game two. Um, now. He's also put guys out on the field that just haven't played well. And so do you think it's more a, a problem of Don Brown's schemes or a problem of players not being able to make plays? I think it's a, a combo. I think it's both. Um, I think the personnel is not there. Um a, because of defections, B, because of good, not great recruiting classes, and I think the scheme is a problem. I mean, how many times did Vincent Gray need to get burned against Ricky White to give him some safety help? Apparently more than we saw because there was no safety help, um, and, I, and I just don't understand that. Um, Don Brown has forgotten more about defense than I know, but I don't understand why he doesn't adjust. And if you have studs at corner, by all means, you know, jam them, play man to man, blitz, don't give them help. No, you can't. I think you have to coach to the players and the personnel you have. And I think so far defensively, Don Brown has not. Yeah, I, I think that um, it, we were talking about this before because it kind of seemed like when they played zo- pretty much all zone in game three compared to his usual man, it was almost like a, an F you a little bit to the people who are saying, come on, Don, play zone. And he's like, you want some zone? I'll give you a zone, but it's not going to look any better. <laughs> well, part of the problem is going to the zone is, is philosophically against what Michigan does under Don, Don Brown. So, mm-hmm. you know, they worked all during camp and the extended camp on, you know, the fundamentals and techniques chiefly, I would think to play man to man defense and zone defense is, is not easy to play well because obviously there are going to be zones you cover and zones you don't. So just to say we're going to go zone and not have a ton of practice in it at full speed, uh, you're going to have growing pains too. So, um, it's kind of a catch-22 situation. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, it, we've uh, we've gone on a little bit here um, past a, a half hour. So thank you for staying on with us. But everybody gets um, one question. Everyone, yeah, everyone gets one, one more. question. Come on, Kalen, what do you got? Light, lightning round. Don't freeze them out. <laughs> yeah. No, 
I'm curious, we were just talking about Don Brown. Um, obviously, he's got a lot of pressure on him from the fan base. Now, have you heard anything from inside the program uh, putting pressure on Don Brown or any of the defensive coaches? I have not heard that. And, you know, I would be stunned if Jim Harbaugh made a coaching change on his staff during the season. I think he believes in these guys. I think he's pretty loyal. Um, lightning round uh, answer, no. I don't, I don't, I haven't heard it and I don't think it's happening. So Larry, I've got, I've got a question for you. And I know you and I have gone back and forth on uh, some score predictions and, and we've kind of been right in line with each other, but and not wrong. very close to the game of what the actual score is. <laughs> I did but, call uh, the uh, Indiana win, but I was very wrong with the Michigan state game. Yeah. You and I were both, I think we both had it. What, 40s was, to like 40, 10 or 45, like 10 Michigan state. I thought it was going to be like last year. I was, very wrong, but I did think Indiana was going to win. I thought Indiana was a better team, and Indiana is a better team. As Nick Baumgartner uh, wrote or tweeted, like, read that out loud again, because it's true. Yeah. Well, what's your um, – what do you think, after looking at these past three games, Michigan at one and two, looking out to the rest of the season, what do you think is a realistic prediction for uh, Michigan's final record? So I think they'll lose to Wisconsin. I think they'll lose to Ohio State um, and win the rest. So we'll go four and four. All right. But I don't want anybody to bet their rent or mortgage on that. <laughs> the way that we've been uh, we've been predicting, I wouldn't either. <laughs> right. All right. I'll end it with this. So let's say things don't happen as you predicted and Jim Harbaugh is let go after this season. Give us – a couple names that maybe would be out there that Michigan's going to look for. If that happens, and I don't think it will, uh, but I will go with Luke Fickle, number one. And number two, um, Tom Allen and the whole Indiana staff, which includes Nick Sheridan, Mike Hart. I would love that. That would be crazy. That would be nuts. And Larry Foote uh, as a, an assistant on defense uh, coming up from the NFL. That'd be amazing. And, and maybe the best recruiter Michigan's ever had if Larry Foote is ever on the staff. And not just because he has a great first name. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. The greatest first name out there. Larry Lage, AP sports writer, Ann Arbor native. Thank you for joining us, Larry. We'd love to have you on. We'd love to have you again. All right. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Larry. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Blue by 90 podcast. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, as well as follow us on social media at Blue by 90 on Instagram and Twitter and Blue by 90 podcast on Facebook as well as YouTube. Go Blue.